Hello and welcome to the first edition of a new IC podcast series, Bull vs. Bear, where we invite two company experts with opposing views into the studio to battle out their opinions. And where better place to start than Marks & Spencer's, a company which has divided analyst opinion. Nine brokers currently have the company on a buy recommendation and 12 say sell. And it also regularly causes fiery discussions in the office. I'm Megan Boxall and my guests today are IC's sectors editor and current retail specialist Harriet Russell, who tipped the high street giant as a buy in early 2016 but recently moved back to a hold. And John Human, IC editor, previous IC retail guru and current M&S bear. So let's start with Harriet. What did you make of M&S's recent trading update? Yeah, it was pretty bad. I'm not going to lie. The big thing for them has um, been a potential recovery in their clothing and general merchandise division, clothing and home. And that's been slated for years. It's done dreadfully for a long time. And when Steve Rowe, the new chief executive, took over last year, it was his big mission to turn that division around. The analysts and investors have been very patient with him. Um, They appreciate it's not going to be something that is solved overnight. But the big thing that sort of really started to rock the boat was that in Q1 and Q2, M&S food sales started to slip by 0.1% on an underlying basis. In last week's update, that got even worse. The food sales were down by 0.4%. And now the analysts are really quite worried that that is hinting at the fact that M&S is losing its real niche position in the market when it comes to its food offering, which traditionally has been the backbone of that business. And it's going to make a potential recovery in clothing and home even more of a challenge. So, John, that fed your concerns, that trading update? Yeah, you're supposed to be the bull, Harriet. That didn't sound very bullish to me. (laughs) I've got reasons to remain bullish on it, but that wasn't the question. No, um, I'm being cheeky. (laughs) I I look at those numbers and and think it's just a continuation of of the concerns that that we have held at the IC for, for, for quite some time. When uh, I became editor, one of the uh, earlier features that I ran was a very specific look at Marks and Spencer. And uh, I worked with our retail correspondent at the time, Julia Bradshaw, to put together which, a piece which you can still find on the website called M&S Untangled. And, uh, and the principal concern was that their stores were underinvested, uh, that you would go into an M&S store and it would be badly organised. There would be uh, what Julia described as a sea of trousers awaiting you with, with you know, near, no real clear route through the shop. It was basically a very unappetising in-store experience. The food bit, which is doing, has been doing very well, you know, there were even concerns about how that kind of sat alongside certain parts of the general merchandising division. It just seemed a bit of a mess and it needed a lot of investment. And at the time, the chief executive, Mark Bolland, was, was putting some of that in place for a, uh, a project called 2020, which was designed to add an extra billion to profits. It hasn't happened. And the concern that a number of analysts looking at M&S at the time had, but this is such a large company, it's it was described by some of them as almost like a civil service, you know, very bureaucratic, things take a very long time to get done. And the problem was, therefore, that even though we, we kind of knew what M&S needed to do in terms of refreshing its ranges and making the stores a better place to come, uh, investing in online, just doing it was really, really hard. And I don't see that anything's changed. It is still a massive bureaucratic beast. But Harriet, that, so that is one of your arguments, isn't it, as to why M&S isn't going to fail what, imminently because of its size, because of its track record of, of just keeping going, keeping chugging along here? 
Yeah, I, I'm afraid of the phrase too big to fail, because I think we've heard that somewhere before. <laughs> but yes, I, I know what you're getting at. You're getting at my argument, which I constantly trot out around the office, which that I don't think M&S is going to go bust in the next year. Neither do I, 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 I must add. You know, yeah. Even as a bear, I don't think it's going to go bust. And I agree with a lot of the concerns that John's just raised. I don't disagree that M&S, when you go in there, it's not a fun place to shop. It, my mum always says it looks like a jumble sale. They, you know, during the last tenure under Mark Bolland, they did loads a promotion. I mean, the product was on promotion for something ridiculous, like more than 300 days of the year, they were on promotion. And Steve Rowe has made some real progress on that front. They are selling a lot more full price product, which is exactly the same thing which Next reported at the beginning of this month too. And that is encouraging, particularly in this sort of consumer climate, where wages and disposable incomes are under a lot of pressure. If people are willing to pay full price for it, that's a good sign. And Steve Rowe's also been very draconian in his response to the store estate. He's already announced a whole swathe of closures. He's completely cut back the international business. And now after last week's update, people suspect that he might start doing it to food too. They've been opening those M&S food stores like nobody's business. And inevitably, that starts to hurt your like-for-like sales performance. We see it a lot in the restaurant sector as well. So he's got to really change the strategy on that front as well. But I don't think he'll be afraid to do it. He really is quite sort of ruthless when he wants to be. But investors don't like that sort of thing. So, you know, for last year, food's growth, and there was growth on an overall basis, was driven by new store openings. Yeah, like, on a total like, basis. On a total yeah. basis, new store openings. So having open new stores, the first thing you then do is go and shut a load. And investors start to think that this is a company that doesn't really know where it's going. Or does it? I mean, it depends on which way he phrases it. If he says that he's really realigning the store estate, making it leaner and saying to them, well, we had it in this position in one town and it was sort of serving like a demographic that didn't really work for us. So we're going to move it and obviously open a second store in that town in a more attractive part of that town, perhaps, and immediately close the other one. Then to me, that makes sense. That's a good strategy. It just depends on how willing the analysts are to sort of bear with it, I think, a bit, a bit longer. Mm. The big problem with food, I think, is not so much the operation of it, which we actually discussed at length on last week's company show, if people want to go and catch up on that. But for me, you know, that business has been incredibly cash generative. It's not just been a backbone in an operation sense, it's been a backbone in a cash sense. And that, of course, has underpinned M&S's status as an income play because its dividend yields in excess of 5%. So the question then is, well, is the cash conversion going to come under pressure as food goes into a slow decline? If they can't turn that decline around, then the cash coffers come under pressure and suddenly the dividend looks in danger. And I agree, that is a big risk. Mm-hmm. So it's the dividend that is keeping you at hold at the moment? Yeah, because in the next 12 months, I don't see it going out of business. I can tell you two businesses I do see as falling this year, and M&S isn't one of them. And so why not hang on to the shares, their cheapest chips, and get paid the dividend for another year? Sorry. They could get cheaper. They could get cheaper. Uh, calling the bottom is an impossible task. But if you're going to sell here, you're selling at a, a big low. I really don't see the appeal. Indeed, you are saying it at low. I'll give you that. I mean, you know, when we uh, wrote this piece in 2013, the shares were 385p. They're now just, just north of three quid. Yeah. So, yeah, you would have, uh, if you'd followed our advice at that point, you would have been okay. I mean, actually, the, the share price did, you know, uh, see quite a significant rise after we wrote it. Well, only, it did, to, only to was... resettle at this lower level now. Yeah, and I was telling people to buy north of four quid. So, yeah. And they would have made money yeah. in, in the short term. In though. the short term. You know, and what we've always talked about in this feature is that, that, you know, you can look at these short term swings in trading and think, yeah. Okay, so so there seems to be a recovery uh, brewing here, but but actually our concerns are much more long term. My concern, sorry, not ours, 
We differ. Um, <laughs> my concerns are around, you know, where is the place for MS in the long term? How does it fit into the, to the evolution of the high street? The high street is changing. There's no doubt about that. The high street, in some cases, is becoming you know, irrelevant yeah, in certain and sectors. I'm writing the, uh, the coming sector focus on this very issue, on the future of the high street. What is it really going to look like? I was saying to Megan earlier today, actually, that I walked through Clapham Junction Station last night, which... In- inevitably actually has an M&S food in it and that is not one of the stores that is closing down but there are two stores in that small small ticket hall which are on the brink of going down joy which um isn't a listed company obviously but that's closing its doors it's got big foreclosure signs in its window and then accessorized next to it part of the whole sort of monsoon chain has 70 percent off stickers all over its windows and you just look at it and you think that is the near-term future that's what we're looking at you know the the smaller less agile players who have a really outdated business model and stuff that no one wants it's it's going indeed. I mean, so what I would say though, you, you, we've talked about you know MS needing uh, store closures, you know, restructuring. My point is going back to the, the sheer scale of this business is, is that's a huge job. Yeah, you know, one or two stores is tinkering at the margins to do anything meaningful requires a massive commitment to a com- almost a complete change of the business model. Also, what you know, people don't often talk about with store closures is that as much as it saves you money potentially in the long term, it actually costs you money in the short term because you've got to be paying redundancies, you've got to be having all. All of these really sort of immediate overheads that no one really talks about. Um, the market tends to sort of brush them aside because they see it as inevitable, I guess. But John's right. It's, it's a huge task. But I've made it clear that I think holding the shares can probably do you no harm in the next year. Mm. I mean, I, I do worry about the dividend. I mean, you know, we, we're interested in the sustainability of that. It, it looks on the face of it reasonably well covered. Yeah, but, at the but, moment. But net debt is quite substantial. Net debt's substantial. And as I say, it's it's really the cash, which has, we did a cash clinic on M&S probably about a year ago now as well. And that's probably still um, findable on the website. But yeah, it's one of the best when it comes to cash generation on the high street. So if you're going to be arguing from, from that perspective and from a dividend point of view, then I would say in the next six to 12 months, you're in okay hands, but you've got to keep an eye on that on what food is doing because if they if that really starts to get a lot worse you know that has been the backbone and and that has underpinned a lot of the shareholder returns mm. I mean, you know we look at uh, there's been some changes of management there recently mm. uh steve rowe who's an mns lifer is now the chief executive and that was obviously greeted positively by the market but but no matter how good someone is to fight on one front is is difficult one enough thing, but now yeah. he's fighting on yeah firefighting on two fronts you know food which wasn't a problem is now a problem and general merchandise is still a massive problem well and for That's- steve rowe it's it's a big pr debacle because he was hailed as the savior of MS food during the last recession he was in charge of that division and the whole dine-in for 10 pounds was his brainchild almost 10 years ago now but you know we were talking about this earlier weren't we the the ranges that they've got in that division the whole dine-in for 10 quid is 10 years old and if there's one thing that consumers want it's it's fresh ideas it's new stuff i think we were talking on the podcast last week weren't we about particularly in their food to go offering the sandwiches and stuff they don't have a meal deal which is hard the others on the high street even boots has a meal deal and they i could never work them out incidentally <laughs> never to work out what goes with what but oh, i'll uh... come with you next time um but yeah it's it's a real problem um it just doesn't feel very modern i don't think and you know with the increasing health conscious as well i think that that's going to be an issue so yeah it needs work it needs work but you think that work is there to be done and there is some hope of salvation. 
look, if one person can do it, I'm not really sure who is more qualified than Steve Rowe. He's done it before. There's literally no one else with his track record in that division. So if I'm going to put my eggs in someone's basket, it's going to be his. Yeah, I mean, one thing I would say about turning around a business like Evanes, which, as I say, is a very, it's a very long-established legacy business. It has these big shops. We, we all know about it, and it's opening more of them. There's no doubt about that. It has opened a lot of shops in the last few years. But the big trend in, in retail is, is obviously online. And yeah. you cannot dispute the fact that M&S is a substantial laggard in the online space it has not got it right no and and, and to me that's a big concern too you know as 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 more shoppers shift their spending online as more shoppers want home delivery for food which which they do yeah M&S is just going to see those sales shift somewhere else unless it can satisfy what those shoppers need and and, and it doesn't seem to be doing it I've got a note by Liberum which shows M&S is at the worst end the lowest end of the scale for for, for online sales yeah it's been growth that is growth yeah it's been extremely difficult for them someone like Next for instance obviously had their directory business so they had basically distribution already set up just to go like literally turn the website live one day M&S had nothing so they've had to start from the ground up similar to Debenhams Debenhams has really got it wrong but M&S had a, was really slow off the gate the thing that I would say is encouraging about online is as John says it is growing and actually their click and collect statistics are starting to rival the likes of John Lewis who I consider one of the leaders in that space in terms of getting it right on a cost efficiency basis and also from a food perspective I think John's also right we used to say or sort of the common thinking I suppose was that M&S doesn't need to go online in the same way that Sainsbury's or Tesco's has because it's not a weekly shop place it's a treat destination but as the food ranges start to feel outdated people are going to be doing that less and less and also as incomes are under pressure you don't do posh food so whether they can do something like Morrison has done, which is a supply agreement with Amazon or another big online deliverer, Ocado maybe, then that could be their ticket. They would just have to swallow their pride. The thing about M&S is they love to do everything under the M&S name. And I appreciate that because it is a bellwether brand for the high street. It's almost a national treasure. But if they can sort of just get on board with the way that people are shopping and, and as I say, swallow their pride and, and join forces with someone who's already got it in place, then for me, that I think that would be received well. Yeah, I, I think something has to be done there. You know, I, the, the great irony in me being a bear of Marks and Spencer's shares is that I probably spend more in their food shops than I ever have done, only because there's one around the corner and I use it for top-up shopping. Yeah, I was saying to Megan the other day, they've opened one at Southfields Tube, which is giving away exactly where I live to all of the listeners. That sounds safe. <laughs> but, you know, it's pretty brand new and I come out the tube and bang, it's right there. So, you know, when I come home after the gym, guess where I'm going to go and get dinner? Mm. I think that they are a premium offer. They are more expensive. Uh, I do see a lot more discounted food at certain times of day than I have done in, in you know, perhaps a year ago. If I have to be really harsh, I'd say the quality does not match the price. No, and the discounting angle is a very interesting one, actually, because, of course, what we've been writing about a lot this month is that inflation as a macroeconomic trend has been incredibly beneficial for the supermarkets. They've finally put an end to years of discounting, which was prompted by Aldi and Lidl. And they've finally found a reason to start keeping prices at least stable, if not raising them. And M&S, ahead of Christmas, even ahead of the big day itself, was cutting prices on food. And that just shows you that they're not shifting the stock. So you've got to ask yourself why. And I think it's for all the reasons that we've discussed here today. But yeah, that's a really worrying sign. But you think they can get it right? Do you think they can turn this around from here? I think there are obvious things, which quite frankly, if I was at the helm of M&S, I would at least be floating to my board members. <laughs> I don't know, obviously, what the research is behind it that would tell me that those are bad ideas. But I think if you're going to make a bet on any one to be able to do this, I'm really not sure who else they can get in 
besides Steve Rowe to do it. And of yeah. course, you hinted at other management changes. They've got a brand new head of design for clothing in Jill McDonald. Ex Halford, she's coming to head up general merchandise. And uh, and you've got Archie Norman as well, um, who's obviously got a big reputation in the city as the new chairman. So there's kind of a bit of a dream team going on there. I do like Archie Norman. Yeah. I think he's I think he's got a track record of doing some great stuff. ITV, Megan, is one of yeah. your companies. He's done yeah. uh, did wonders did a good there. Job there. But what I would say is we've had the dream team story before with Mark and Spence. I mean, Mark Bolland was was a mm. dream team appointment. They paid handsomely to get him. We had some real you know, top-level hires in things like e-commerce. It was uh, uh, the appointment of Laura Wade Gary a number of years ago. It was yeah. seen as the, the, the move that would transform their online business, and it didn't happen. And, and this, this begs a question. It goes back to what I, what I started out saying. Is, is Marks and Spencer's too big to fix? Is it just a bureaucracy? And you can tinker at the edges, but you know, to do something substantial, even for a man of Steve Rose calibre, it's going to be very difficult. Yeah, and I agree with you. In the long term, it might be too big to fix. But in the short term, it is too big to fail. Well, I think that is a great place to leave it. Just to reiterate, the IC currently recommends holding on to M&S shares. It's going to be a rocky ride, but the dividend is worth holding on to. John, Harriet, thanks very much for your thoughts and thank you all for listening. We'll be back for another edition of Bull vs. Bear soon. But in the meantime, head to our website for more IC podcasts. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætter alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.